I appreciate the opportunity to be here and for Matt to give me uh, this grace to be able to do this. It's kind of a big deal when a, a pastor lets uh, another guy preach in his pulpit, and so I, I, I'm thankful for that. I actually did not know Matt, had never heard of him until Chisago Lakes Baptist Church um, asked me to candidate there. And they said, hey, our previous pastor was Matt Morrell. I said, I, I want to talk to the previous pastor. I want to know why he left. And uh, Matt was, in, yeah, sorry. Maybe I'm touching on some stoves here. I, it's all in the past, folks. Um, but I, did, I didn't know anything about it, so I just, I, just wanted, I just had questions. And Matt was gracious and kind and was willing to answer all my questions, talk as long as I wanted to talk, um, and I really appreciated that. Um, that was very kind of him. And over the years, I've had opportunities to ask him questions, and I just really have appreciated um, Matt. It's just been a, it's been a blessing. A few years ago, I was talking to a ministry acquaintance, another pastor, and he he told me that he had a brother-in-law that had been hired by a megachurch. And I knew a little about this ministry, so I, I was skeptical, but this other pastor seemed excited about the opportunities his brother-in-law was going to have there. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. And then a few years later, the entire ministry imploded. I was listening to a, a podcast last summer about the downfall of this pastor and his megachurch. And at one point, the podcaster relates a story of some fans flocking around this pastor, and when they were finally in the car, an associate commented that that experience was weird. I mean, people asking for the pastor's autograph like he's some Hollywood celebrity. And the pastor reportedly responded, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Now, it was then that the associate realized they were in trouble. That's a pastor glorying in his strengths, not his weaknesses. And frankly, this train wreck of a ministry was easy to see from a distance. Some correctly predicted the demise. And while you and I probably would never tell someone that we're a big deal, right? That's kind of over the top. We are likely to glory in our strengths, not our weaknesses, right? Our passage this morning teaches us that you can enjoy weakness that you can actually prefer pain. Now, the verses we're looking at are part of a longer paragraph that stretches from 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to chapter 12, verse 10. Now, we're ultimately going to look at verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But the entire paragraph from chapter 11, verse 22, um, teaches us that God's grace is enough. And if we really believe that, several things will be true in our lives. For example, you won't be ashamed of your resume. That's what Paul tells us in 11:22 through 27 and in 30 through 33, that you won't be ashamed of your resume. In, in, in those verses, Paul lists events that have happened to him that don't exactly show how wonderful he was. Most of them could probably be characterized as failures. I mean, being whipped is not a sign of power. It's a sign of weakness. And then, of course, he has shipwrecks, imprisonments, being stoned, danger of death. And even though some of them were shameful, like being imprisoned, who brags about that? Paul didn't hide the ways that he had sinned before knowing Christ, and he didn't hide the ways that he had been sinned against after knowing Christ. Frankly, Paul's list of boasts in this section look less like examples of God's favor and more like examples of God's curse. 
In verses 30 through 33 of chapter 11, Paul relates a story that makes him look scared and weak. Maybe you've never thought about this story that way, but being let down from the wall in a basket is not a story about a triumph. Look how I got out of town. It's a, it's a story about a defeat. It's humbling. But Paul believed that God's grace was enough. He believed that even the shameful episodes of his past could become the conduit of God's power in his life, that they were ways that God was glorified. So if, if you believe that God's grace is enough, you won't hide your history, you won't hide your resume, but also you won't be afraid of vulnerability. We're working our way to chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. But in 11, chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, Paul teaches us that if you actually believe God's grace is enough, you won't be afraid of vulnerability. Paul relates his concerns in those two verses for all the churches. Paul's telling the Corinthians that he cares for them and the other churches, that he hurts when they hurt. And guess what? That means that they can hurt him because of his vulnerability. Paul knew that God knew him intimately and yet still loved him. And when grace is enough, I'm not afraid to tell you what I'm really like. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable because no matter what you do with that vulnerability, God's grace is enough. So if you believe that God's grace is enough, you, you won't be afraid of your resume, you won't be afraid of vulnerability. You also, you won't glory in your successes. And that's chapter 12, verses 1 through 5 where Paul describes this dramatic vision that he had. It's the type of experience that the false apostles would have made one of their main credentials for authority. Paul hasn't even mentioned to the Corinthians before, and it's 14 years old. Even when Paul boasts about it, it's not like normal boasting. It's so distasteful to him that he talks about it in the third person. You probably noticed that if you've read through that before. He also doesn't talk about what he heard, what was actually told him. Paul downplays this extraordinary experience that he had. He didn't glory in his successes. So if you believe that God's grace is enough, if you think his power is perfected in weakness, then you won't glory in your successes. Instead, you will enjoy your weakness. And that's chapter 12, verses 6 through 10, which is where we'll spend our time this morning. Now, I actually want to begin with verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, what's the then, therefore? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with these. Paul says that he can be content with all of these hardships. Why? And that's what we're going to look at more closely this morning. If he can be content with weakness, couldn't you and I also learn to enjoy our weakness, to enjoy our pain? You can. You can enjoy weakness. You can actually prefer pain. Now, I I think even using the word enjoy to describe Paul's response to his weakness and his pain is problematic. It's, It's a problem for us because we find it difficult to believe. I mean, we might, believe, we might believe that Paul resigned himself to enduring his pain. We might even believe that, you know, he's at a different level than us, that he was content with his pain, that he quit complaining about it. I mean, all of us know people that no matter how hard life gets, they're just not complainers, right? And so, so we might imagine that Paul is that guy, that, that no matter how difficult it is, he doesn't complain. 
But it's hard to believe that Paul enjoyed his pain. It's hard to believe that he enjoyed his weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses. That's the New American. Or the ESV, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses. Or the New King James, I take pleasure in infirmities. Or the NIV, that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. Some translators seem to lean towards Paul being content, while others claim that he delights in his weaknesses. It's the word eudikao, and it has three basic definitions. To be pleased with or to take pleasure in, like Matthew 3.17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's our word. Or two, to enjoy or feel good when doing or experiencing something. This is a negative example in 2 Thessalonians 2.12. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's the same word. They took pleasure. They felt good when they were doing unrighteousness. And then thirdly, to think of something as being good, better, or preferable. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body, and be at home with the Lord. Paul says that's preferable. That's what I would want more. So all three of those definitions imply that the person prefers or enjoys one state over another. And that's what Paul is claiming in verse 10. That for reasons we're about to discuss, he can actually enjoy his weakness and his pain. He can prefer it. Why? And why could you and I also enjoy the weakness and or pain that we have? Well, the first reason is this. Because God will use your weakness or pain to humble you. God will use your weakness or pain to humble you. That's verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. So twice we're told in verse 7 that God's purpose for Paul's thorn was to prevent pride from growing in Paul's heart. Now maybe that doesn't make sense to you um, because you and I don't live for the same values that some people in Paul's day did. But the false apostles especially thought that a superior revelation authenticated their credentials. And here's Paul claiming the most amazing revelation. God had given him a vision of heaven. This isn't no, this isn't like the heavenly tourism books that people are, you know, popularizing now. Paul, Paul has a legit experience here. He saw things that he couldn't even talk about. He was given something that most other Christians would never get in this life. In fact, most other apostles weren't given this experience. The Apostle John's revelation might be the only other one that's like it. So, you're Paul. You're in, an, you're in an elite group of Christians. Maybe the group is as small as just two. And this revelation could be used to authenticate your authority. It could give you status over others with lesser experiences. It could bring you applause. Others are going to be impressed with you. Don't you think that your heart would be tempted with pride? Surely, Paul, God has done this for you because you're better than others. He can trust you with more than others. In some way, you're different, even superior to other Christians around you. And that's the dynamic that Paul could have faced in his heart. It's actually a dynamic that you and I are familiar with too. It is a common Christian experience to take the gifts of God and twist them into something that speaks well of us. Singles, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, 
aren't you tempted a little bit to think it's because you're better looking or you're more personable or you're just a better catch than those singles around you that aren't dating somebody? Parents, if your kids are successful, aren't you tempted to think that it's because you gave them good genes or a wonderful work ethic or intelligence or an engaging personality or something? If your marriage is good, aren't you tempted to think that you and your spouse are, maybe you're just a little bit more committed to your marriage than those friends around you that are struggling? If you have good health, aren't you tempted to think that you just work a little harder at staying in shape than other people your age? If your children, if your children love Jesus, aren't you tempted a little bit to think that you parented better than those parents whose kids or kid have rejected Jesus? See, if you answer no to those questions, you're a liar. Because you're at least tempted, aren't you? I'm tempted. It's the nature of our sinful hearts that we accept the blessings of God, which show his, his rich generosity to us, and show his grace and his mercy to us, and we twist them to say, that says something about me. We want to believe that he blessed us with them because we deserve them more than others. Maybe. Maybe because we're more faithful than others. If you're financially secure, you're tempted to believe it's because of the wise choices you've consistently made in your education and vocation, or it's because you have a superior talent with money. If you're outgoing, you're tempted to think that that's intrinsic to you. You you normally don't think that your personality is a gift from God. You think, no, that's just me. That's just who I am. There's really a mind-boggling number of things that can tempt our hearts with pride. And if none of those are examples that make sense to you, even though they should, how about this one? Aren't you at times tempted to explain why you trusted Christ and someone else didn't by thinking that God saw something in you that he didn't see in someone else? Be honest. I mean, why did you hear the gospel message and trust Christ and others hear the gospel message and reject Christ? They heard the same message as you. What's different? It must be me. Maybe you reject that as soon as you think it, but you are tempted. We're tempted to take the greatest gift, salvation, and make it say something about us rather than believing what God's word says, that it shows God's amazing grace to undeserving sinners. There was nothing in you that deserved salvation even a little bit. So having a supernatural experience could have tempted Paul's heart with pride. And we're so twisted that experiencing God's blessings tempts our heart to think that we've earned them by our wonderfulness. And God's answer for Paul was a thorn in the flesh. This thorn is described as a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul or to cause him harm. It means to strike with the fist. So this thorn keeps hitting Paul in the face. Why? So Paul would grow in humility. Satan had a purpose, but God's purpose of humbling him was actually the ultimate purpose. So Paul could take pleasure in his weakness. He could enjoy his pain because he knew that God was using it to humble him. He saw this thorn actually as a gift from God. You know why you cannot enjoy your weakness? You know why you can't enjoy your suffering? I think there's three reasons that occur to me. The first one is that you don't think you're proud. Pride is the sin we're most blind to. 
It's an ironic truth that those that think they're humble are the most proud, and those that are truly humble recognize they are proud. You will never enjoy weakness if you already believe that you're humble. Or the second option, you don't think that pride is that dangerous to you. I mean, you're not scared of the pride in your own heart. It's as if you've got a full-grown grizzly bear for a pet and you're acting as if it's a cuddly kitten. Pride kills spiritual vitality. Why else would God say that he opposes the proud? James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So maybe you don't think that pride is that dangerous to you. Or finally, the reason is because you value what you're losing in your weakness and pain more than you value God's work in making you humble. And that's why we hate pain. What we're losing to us is more valuable to us than what we gain through pain. God says he will use it to make us humble, but we say, thanks but no thanks. I'd prefer that my life go back to the way it was. Or I prefer that this weakness that has dogged me actually be strength, God. Why can't you make this weakness actually a strength? I'd like that better than the humility that you're trying to give me. I don't know everything that God might be doing through your present pain or weakness, but I know one thing for sure. He will use it to humble you, and that will do far more good for your spiritual life than the absence of your thorn would. There's a second reason that you and I can enjoy weakness, that we can prefer the pain that we have been given by God. It's because God will use your weakness or pain to make you dependent. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So what did Paul do with his thorn? Paul pleaded with God for the demonic oppression to leave. Have you realized that prayer is an act of dependence upon God? I mean, why do we pray? Because we know that we're helpless to change a situation. But God is all-powerful. He can change the situation to what we think is the best result. I don't pray to you. You don't pray to me. That probably seems obvious, but that's because you're as helpless as I am. We both ask God because God can actually change the circumstances. Why did Paul pray this prayer for the removal of the thorn? Paul prayed this exact prayer because he had the thorn. In other words, the thorn became a tool to make him dependent upon God. Isn't that what God is doing with your pain? Doesn't he do that with your weakness? It's when life goes wrong that you and I hit our knees. I'm not saying that we don't pray in good times, but the truth is the more our lives go according to our plans, the less likely we are to pray. When life goes as we want it, our hearts tend to move from God. We get proud. I mean, we'll still engage in the spiritual disciplines, but they might not be as passionate as they used to be. But when we experience pain, suddenly we are brought back to God. We cry out to him like Paul did. It's interesting to me that even though Paul prayed for the removal of the thorn, God said no. I mean, if anyone should be able to reach heaven, it'd be the Apostle Paul, right? He might be the greatest Christian that ever lived, and yet God did not answer as Paul wanted. Paul prayed earnestly and repeatedly, but God still said no. Clearly, it's okay to ask for the removal of pain, Paul did but it's not okay to reject God's answer of no. Our passage indicates that when God told Paul no, Paul quit asking for the thorns removal. Now, we don't live in a time when God speaks to us directly as he did to the apostles in the first century. Now God speaks through his word. So we don't always have the clear, direct no that Paul received, but we should accept whatever answer God gives us. God will use your weakness 
to make you dependent upon him. Is that appealing to you? Maybe I could say it this way. God will use your pain to bring you closer to him. Shouldn't every Christian want that? I mean, if we had the choice of being farther from God or being closer to him, wouldn't all Christians choose being closer to him? And what if the vehicle of greater intimacy with God is pain? Wouldn't that be worth it too? God is closer to you in pain than in power. What if your weakness is actually the tool that allows you to experience intimacy with God like never before? Wouldn't it be worth it then? Paul believed it was. He believed it so much that he preferred weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, it's quite possible that the situation, that one situation that you most want changed is exactly what you need to grow in dependence upon God. It's the one circumstance that will most lead to greater intimacy with God. In Paul's case, his thorn was lifelong. The language indicates that Paul endured this situation, whatever it was, for the rest of his life. And our lives are like that. They're they're kind of a mix of short-term pains with some lifelong ones as well, right? And in all those situations, God's plan is for you to be more dependent upon him. Have you ever thought that maybe your thorn is what is keeping you close to Jesus? There's a final reason that you can enjoy your weakness, that you can prefer your pain. It's because God will use your weakness and pain to display his glory. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, others must see God as great because of how we live. Most of us are happy to do that when our life is going as we want them to go. We're pleased to tell others that all we have has come from God when we have quite a lot. But Paul explains here that God can be glorified when we don't have a lot, when what we have is pain. How? By experiencing and sharing with others that God's grace is enough. That was God's reply to Paul. He claimed that his grace was enough for Paul's thorn. This this wasn't an answer just for Paul with this particular thorn. The the perfect tense of he has said indicates the abiding truth of this reply, that this is for all Christians in all times, that God's grace is enough in your pain. The answer for Paul wasn't escape from his pain. It wasn't an exorcism, even though it was demonic oppression, we're told. It was reliance upon God's grace. Relief to Paul did not come with the removal of the thorn, but from the application of God's grace. Sanctification was actually the answer to Paul's demonic oppression. God's grace is sufficient for all trials. No matter what trial you're experiencing, God's grace is enough. There is an ever-present availability of God's grace for you and me. Do you see how that would glorify God? I mean, when others see that you can experience deep pain and extreme loss that would crush them, and they see that rather than being crushed, you actually thrive. God is glorified. There's no, no other explanation other than God's grace. So this is certainly a witness to unbelievers. But it's also an encouragement and a challenge to fellow believers. Just before school started down at uh, the college, Faith and Ankeny, 
uh, one of our students, um, her mom was killed in a car accident as she was on her way to church. So large family, 10 children, most of them still in the home. Laura and I went to the funeral and the words that described the family during the service were hope and joy. I mean, how do you explain that? These kids have had their mom ripped from them. This husband, I mean, I'd be looking at these kids saying, how do I raise these without my wife? It it was an amazing funeral. No unbeliever can explain that. My faith was strengthened by seeing this. This past weekend, I was at a men's uh, retreat, and that father and two of his sons were there. I got to talk to him a little bit. Just amazing. God's grace is enough for that. Part of God's plan for your thorn is for you to experience that his grace really is enough. Maybe your thorn is a relationship that doesn't get better. God says his grace is enough. Maybe your thorn is physical pain. God may be saying that his grace is enough. Maybe your thorn is financial problems. God says his grace is enough. Paul says that it's in our weaknesses and in our pain that God is glorified. You know, there's lots of false teachers out there that will tell you that God is glorified when you are healthy and wealthy, that Christians should all experience good health and that they should have lots of nice things. And it's surprising how we turn things around. If Paul is right that God's grace is found in pain, then it's likely that health and wealth are more likely to be curses than blessings. They'd be curses because they could be tools that make us wander from God. Paul wasn't healthy and wealthy. But he did find out that God's grace was enough. And you can too. When you experience and share with others that God's grace is enough, God is glorified. But also, by experiencing and sharing with others that God's power is more available in our weakness. Our passage claims that God's power is perfected in weakness. What does this mean? Verse 9 says that the power of Christ will rest upon us in weakness. The phrase in the ESV, rest upon me, is, is fascinating. It means that God's power will tabernacle with us or that it will reside with us. It means that God's power will dwell with us. It's the same word used in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. Paul claims that God's power is closer in our weaknesses than in our strengths. Paul boasted about weakness because he knew it was a way for God's power to be more visible to those around him. The truth is, you are only ever living through God's power. Your next breath is because of him. Your next godly choice is because of him. But his power becomes visible when there is no other explanation for your life. And that is in weakness, not strength. Maybe you don't consider yourself a very good witness for Christ. Over and over, you miss opportunities to tell others about Jesus You're embarrassed about it. This is an area in my own life that I would say is a weakness. That's an area of weakness where God's strength can become visible. When you actually do tell others about Jesus, you know it's only because God's power is resting upon you. That's not you. Maybe you've struggled with a besetting sin. It's a regular way that you fail God and others. You're desperate. Or maybe you've moved beyond desperation to giving up. You've quit trying to change. That's a weakness. And if God changes you now, 
you know it's because of him. He's glorified, not you. Actually, that's the best time to beg God for mercy, to plead with him to change you. Your inability allows his power to shine far more brightly than it would otherwise. Maybe there's a way to serve in your church that you haven't considered before because you're convinced that you don't have the ability. That's a weakness. God might want you to risk a little so that his power can become more visible. God is glorified when we experience and share with others that his power is more available in our weakness. God used Paul's weakness to glorify himself. Weakness showed God's power. He's probably ordained that for you too. This is not good news for the proud person. I, I don't like weakness. I've told people this before. My, my wife and I, we, we go on walks all the time um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't mind walking. I enjoy it. We, we have lots of conversations that way. You know the time I hate walking? When my car dies and I have to walk, I can walk the exact same sidewalks, but I'm like ashamed that my car died. Like everyone must know that I am... I can't keep a car going. It's weakness. I was talking to your pastor just before the service, and he, I mentioned to him that I, I've uh, experienced a little hearing loss over the last couple of years, and I, I, I told him, I said, I'm too proud to go get um, a hearing aid. And he said, man, that sounds like a weakness, which I really didn't appreciate him saying. That seemed, <laughs> you know, treat your guests better than that. I mean, come on. But it is. It's, it's a weakness that God can use in my life. For proud people like me, it's not good news. Our pride makes us glory thieves. We don't want God glorified. We want us glorified. We want our lives to say something about us, not God. But the humble, well, they want God to be glorified. If you're the proud, strong person, then you need to repent. Paul was given pain so that he would be humble. God knows how to humble all of us. Better, better you humble yourself and repent for stealing God's glory. Paul could enjoy his weakness. He could prefer his pain because God was glorified through it. Paul claims that he enjoys mistreatment, he prefers troubles, he's pleased with persecutions and difficulties. Why would anyone ever say that? Because he knew that his weakness, his pain, showed God's power. He knew that God's grace was enough in his pain. So what's your weakness? It can be a place of God's power. What's your pain? It can be the conduit of God's grace. You must prefer pain. You must enjoy weakness. Did you know it's better if you choose humility yourself than if God is to help you like it? This is why Paul could enjoy his pain. I mean, what if you chose to grow in humility too? Couldn't you then enjoy your suffering? Couldn't you then enjoy your weakness? Couldn't you then enjoy your pain? Well, how could you do that? I think reflecting on the wonder of the cross. You cannot be arrogant when you stand by the cross. Your sin, my sin, is why the Son of God had to die. It's not as if you were almost there and you needed you needed Jesus' death to boost you over the fence. We weren't anywhere close. Secondly, I think growing in gratefulness. Pride cannot grow in a grateful heart. 
Start your day by thanking God for a specific blessing from the previous day. Make it your practice to thank someone each day for how they've blessed your life. Or, and this, is, this will be a hard one, what if you listed the blessings of your present pain and weakness? Have you spent any time thinking about that? I mean, what are the good things that God is doing or could be doing with your thorn? List 20 blessings of your present thorn. I know for some of you, you're like, there is no way. You, you, you know why 20? Because every one of us has the same first five. And, and the next 15, we actually have to look at our weakness, at our thorn, and say, what can I thank God for here? What is he actually doing? All things work together for good. God is using this for good in my life. So list 20 blessings and then pray them back to God thanking him for them. God is glorified by your weakness and pain. Why don't you praise God for his patience with you and his willingness to use you to spread his glory? You must prefer pain. You must enjoy weakness. Let me pray. Father, it is actually your grace to us that you bring suffering into our lives. It's actually your grace that even if it's not suffering in the sense of trials, but if it's, if it's pain, if it's, if it's weakness in the sense that we have inabilities that we wish we didn't have, some of us are, maybe we think we're not very outgoing and, 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 and so we, we struggle with that. Why can't I be like other people? Some of us don't have the, the financial sense that other people have. And yet, God, you... You use those weaknesses. You've custom-designed them in our lives to bring you glory, to be avenues of your grace. I pray, Lord, that the people of Fourth Baptist Church would be living testaments of how to respond to weakness and pain and that they, their lives would glorify you that they could actually enjoy their inabilities because they grow more dependent upon you and because your power is made evident. In Christ's name, amen.